Wow, I really messed that up, didn't I? Uh, the problem I have, and as I update my Mastodon link as well, the problem I have is I rebooted my PC. <laughs> uh, Mastodon, but on a new URL. I probably shouldn't have just stopped that live stream. Okay, people will come back. I will kill some time. Oh, here we go. Mike's copied and pasted his message. Thank you, mate. Sorry about that. Sound check's okay. In case you missed my little intro just then, I rebooted my PC. <laughs> and that's where everything went wrong. Um, now, I didn't deliberately do it. It was a Windows update. I knew it was coming. It gave me little warnings. I went away yesterday, came back this morning, and it was restarted. It looked okay. I didn't test it. Well, we did, but we just tested it in production. And uh, we were reminded this is why we don't test in production. As I was saying when nobody heard, it is a bit later today. We went away. We had a night away last night. We finally took, like, final delivery of the McLaren yesterday. So that was like a little present. Go away. Have a night away. Came back this morning a little bit later and... And was really, really hot, so I went laid in the pool for a bit. It was 36 degrees Celsius, by the way. I put a, one of my most recent tweets was the temperature on the weather station on the roof just going, like, absolutely skyrocketing. Uh, it's not summer here anymore, either. We are in autumn, so that's probably, possibly, our hottest day of the year, uh, or hottest day in the last year, which is interesting. It's okay. The pool is good. Thank you for the concern. Our beer delivery is coming today. Everything is going to be okay. Uh, and suddenly everything here sounds perfect. Awesome. Now, moving on, let's get into the uh, into the meat of things. I was thinking about, look, do I just do this later on? But I do like to sort of alternate them day by day. Do I do it tomorrow morning, but then it's Saturday. So apologies if this has screwed up people's normal watching schedule. Uh, I know that many people are just sitting there waiting for <laughs> this video. All right, let's jump into the uh, the meat of things. Starting with sponsor, sponsor again this week is Collide. Big thank you to Collide for their uh, long ongoing support. Collide ensures only secure devices can access your cloud apps. It's device trust tailor-made for Okta. Book a demo today. Uh, and again, I do like to give people a bit of a, a call to action to go and do something useful. Collide ensures that if a device isn't secure, it can't access your apps. Achieving Zero Trust Design for Okta works on Mac, Winix, and Linux. Did I say Winix? You know what I mean, both of them, Windows and Linux. Now, incidentally, my tie today is because I've just come from the aforementioned pool, and it is stinking hot. I've been blasting the aircon in my office for the last couple of hours, and I've gotten it down, down to 28 Celsius. And if I have a look at my... Uh, my graphs here, because of course I have everything here in Home Assistant. Uh, my office was at 32, <laughs> so it's it's nice having it down from 32 to something a bit more bearable. Now, in the uh, in the overview for today, I did put a bunch of of actual things, but I sort of forded it with AMA because, if I'm honest, I did not prepare very well for this. I sort of, as I said, I got back this morning and I was like, okay, I should do the thing. List down what I thought of. But uh, if you have questions, it's going to be quite an audience today because it's not peak time. I know it's very late in Europe. Thank you, Mike. I know that's your time zone at the moment. Probably not so bad in parts of the US. So thanks, Mike, for what I would consider the AMA. Uh, G'day, mate. Question. Thoughts on TikTok bans hitting governments? And is this a gross political overreaction when things like Facebook and Cambridge Analytica scandals seem swept under the carpet? What I always think is fascinating about any bans that appear to be related to the country of origin of a service is the it's almost like the assertion that we have to be worried about the other countries but the countries that we're in are fine and i think this is where you're kind of going a little bit with cambridge analytica and facebook and everything the oversight that we have seen in the past from western governments the ones that we would consider on our side air quoting for the people listening to this later on uh there have been some oversteps. <laughs> Let's be honest, they do have access to a very large amount of data. China is a little bit of a different situation in terms of the, at least the perceived draconian nature of their access to information and the due diligence that they have to go through in order to get to, uh, to obtain visibility to it. So I, I do think it is a little bit different, but there is still that sort of paradox of uh, not trusting the one from over there, but the one from here is... Okay, 
I mean, the TikTok thing, <sighs> is this just the online equivalent of gluing up the USB sticks, you know, the USB sockets? Because <laughs> it feels a little bit like that. It feels like we're going to have leakages one way or another. Uh, and yes, maybe this stops an egregious one. I wonder if part of it as well is that TikTok is just an absolute time suck. <laughs> you know, when we used to say that about the likes of Facebook and everything, and then, don't get me wrong, it is. But TikTok, particularly watching my son on it, just seems like at another level. Uh, so, Mike, I don't know if that answers your question. I, I, I do, I do agree with most of what you've said. So maybe that, maybe that kind of does. Brandon says, "Finally, switched to my work as my ISP uh, right off the bat modem was DOA. Lucky I was someone expecting this. And the sound check's okay. Thank you, mate." So moving on to uh, into other things. Since I was doing AMA, let me ask myself <laughs> something else. Well, point out something not on schedule. Just as I went downstairs for doing this, a big stack of Shelleys uh, here on my desk. In fact, this is five Shelly Dimmers. Shelly Dimmer 2. Huh. Did I mean to get that? Shelly Dimmer 2. So that's the next generation one. Ah, okay. So um, anyway, so these are going... I'll, I'll figure it out. I've actually bought several different sets of Shelleys. I've got a whole bunch of what I thought was getting Shelly 2s, which are the ones that could just have two relays on them, a bunch of Shelly 1s with the ones with one relay, and a bunch of Shelly Dimmers. And somehow I think I might have ended up with a combination of dimmer, Dimmers and Dimmer 2. Anyway, they're all going to get used because a bunch of the work we're doing in the house at the moment uh, is going to require new circuits to be switched. I'm up to about 70 Shelleys <laughs> in the house at the moment, which which does feel like a lot. They're mostly okay, but I would say I have a rate of attrition at the moment of several Shelleys a year, cactus. They'll be fine, and then cactus. Uh, and what I mean by cactus is does not work in the way that you would expect anymore. So, for example, I've had Shelley's die where it just kills the circuit, and the circuit can't work anymore, not even the manual switch. Uh, the One of the Shelley's that got replaced this week, the physical switch would work, but the Shelley itself just wasn't visible at all. And I've got another one in our master bedroom at the moment, which is the same thing. And at least, in theory, in order to change them, you've got to get an electrician back out, which is frustrating. So I, I do feel like the Shelley's could be more resilient than what they are. I think we do have some Shelly uh, reliability issues out there, guys, if you are listening. Shane's here. Well, howdy. Brennan says, some of my videos, my little brother makes me watch them on TikTok, and the ones I've overheard have been more annoying than anything. You, you know what I think it is? It is just the endless scrolling of them. And I see what it's like when Ari starts watching TikTok, and it's like this thing, and then there's the next thing, and then there's the next thing. And it is like infinite video scroll. So I can see how that's attractive for killing time, but holy shit, it kills time. Also on the uh, on the Shelly and the, the houseworks, I just tweeted a photo of the garage, which is now starting to look like a room at last, which is which is good. Uh, it's, but the background noise probably won't come up because this mic's going to do a really good job of just keeping focused on what's here. But there are sanders and saws and endless noise going on there at the moment as the uh, the sheeting has gone up yesterday so everything got pulled off all the walls all the ceiling uh, a whole bunch of cabling run a whole bunch of cat six for more cameras and things as well especially after my break in the other day so the sheeting's now gone back up uh they're now i don't know what the word is they're putting like a putty <laughs> between the sheets and then they've got to be sanding it and stuff next week it's got a way to go but at least it's approaching livability again Lee says, I'm about to go down the Shelley path in my house. Do you still think it's a great product to use? Look, I, I do, and I, I am actually going to start RMAing the ones that died. I, I did do it with a couple, and then because particularly Shelley ones, how much are the Shelley ones here? They're like $20 Oz or something like that. I buy them from a company called uh, Oz Smart Things. Where are we? Oz Smart Things. Find those Shelleys. I've literally got a big Shelley Wi-Fi section here. So the Shelley ones are actually like $16.49. So you're sort of looking at a unit like this and going, this is $16.49. Probably cost me $60 to get installed because it's got to be the Sparky that does it. But is it worth packaging something up and sending it back for the sake of $16.49? You know, maybe, maybe not as much. 
Uh, now, looking at why I had Shelley Dimmer 2s, if I go to Shelley Dimmer 2, it is uh, Shelley Dimmer 2, uh, Embed Web Server. No, this is what I've got already. It is literally just a Shelley Dimmer. Yes, okay, cool. I got the right thing. I know I'd use them anyway. So a, a longer answer to your question, uh, Lee, is they're great in that they're pretty easy to get up and going. I did have a little bit of trouble actually um, joining one to the network the other day. Uh, and John from, from Ghost, John O'Nolan from Ghost, said uh, set a static IP on it, access it, update all the firmware, remove the static IP. I use a reserved IP for every Shelly so that they're all within a predictable IP range. Uh, and then it came good. But for the most part, they get online, they're pretty reliable. I'm using MQTT, which is more reliable than accessing them via Wi-Fi because at least you have a message queue technology. They are very good when they're working. The, the only sort of constant fault I can find is that some lights with the dimmer will flicker a bit. They're only some with the dimmer. And I, I think there is something in there which neither myself or the electrician understand, which is a combination of that dimmer and that light. Uh, but it, it is annoying to see the flickering. But look, I mean, the automation in the house is is awesome. So even yesterday, we were in at the joinery company designing the kitchen. And she said, uh, you know, there's going to be a cupboard that opens and there'll be like an LED strip in there. And she's like, we can put a motion sensor on that. And I was like, is it smart? She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's smart. How smart? Well, it'll come on when you open the doors. Will it adjust the brightness based on how bright it is in the room? No, no, it's not that smart. <laughs> I was like, okay, tell you what I want. I want a Shelly dimmer too. Just like put the light in there, make sure it's a dimmable light, make sure it's a warm color, uh, put a switch on it, and then the Sparky's going to drop one of these in. <clears throat> and then I will use something like, you can't see it from here, but I've got one of the little Akira motion sensors up there. It senses both motion and light. I will have that behind the wall in the cupboard, and then I will use code to figure out how bright it should be and when it should go on and when it should go off. So it's great for that sort of stuff. Um, another good example is we're getting an awning at this side because when the, the sun comes up in the morning, we get to about seven o'clock on a day like this and it's just too hot to sit outside. So we're getting an awning that'll come down, it'll block the sun and it'll keep the rain off when it's wet. And a lot of awnings these days come with wind sensors so that if it gets too windy, it will pull the awning back up so it doesn't get blown off the building, which makes sense. But is it smart? And then where does it go? And I was having this discussion with the builders, and I'm like, well, where are we going to put it so that it's not on the leeward side? Because let's say the wind's blowing from the north, and you put it on the south side of where the awning is, it's not going to sense the wind, and it's not going to work at all. I've got a weather station up on the top of the roof, which has got clear everything, clear view, clear line of sight to wind. What if I use that as a trigger to move the awning? But then I need to be able to know the position of the awning and trigger it. It's good in theory. <laughs> it's good in theory. I think I'll be doing that with the Shelley as well, Lee. So in, in summary, yes, I like the Shelleys. They are, they are not perfect, but they are close to it. And they're cheap enough and they're low impact enough. They're not changing the design of your light switcher in it. This is the reason I like them. I put normal light switches on there, put them behind that. If they come out with something better or someone else comes out with something better and they've, I've just paid like 16 bucks each for them or something and I want to start upgrading them, it's not a big ask. Shane says, TikTok also does some evil shenanigans. What, unlike Facebook? Evil shenanigans by intercepting the back button, not exiting unless you back twice Quickly, can't you just close the app? That sounds like one of the dark patterns, you know, like a UX dark pattern. The idea being they refresh the feed and try to get you with just one more video hook. Yeah, again, I think we're dark patterns there. Aaron, Aaron Powell, who is responsible for the door lock that I'm not happy with at the moment. I'm going to talk about that. Not the one you have, but another one from Yale. Aaron says, I'm thinking of pulling out most of my ones and replacing them with one PM as I find the PM useful. Now, of course, the PM is power monitoring, which, uh, which yes, actually would be useful. What's the difference in cost there? So a Shelly one is $16.49. Now, to put this back in American dollars, for those of you listening, it's we add about half at the moment. So it's probably about 11 bucks or something like that. A Shelly one PM is $25. 
So it is quite the markup. You're about another nine bucks there. Uh, and then if you have 70 of them, we don't have 70 of those, but yeah, we have a lot. Yeah, but okay, fair, fair point. Stefan, I switched to Lutron RA2 system a while back uh, and are happy so far. Work absolutely reliably as smart and physical switches. Not the cheapest though, but at my stage in life, I rather have reliable stuff. I think we should all want reliable stuff regardless of our stage in life. From memory, and tell me if I'm wrong, Stefan, but the, the Lutron is a physical IoT switch, uh, which of course is a different model. It's like a, it's the two-in-one. It's the switch itself and the relay that's behind it and the Wi-Fi built into it. The reason I didn't want to go that way is I didn't want to have, I didn't want to be constrained to just IoT physical switches. We have a particular style and brand that we wanted here. Uh, and the thing that worries me in, in a little bit of the longer term as well is what happens when there is something much better than Wi-Fi and MQTT and Zigbee and it's five years from now and it kills everything. Maybe it's some implementation of Matter. And then you've got all of these entire units which you have to replace if you want the new thing. I do like the Shelley model of keep your switch, keep your lights. It's just this one little thing in between in the middle and then you replace that. That's my view on that. Marek says, will Shelley support the new Matter protocol? Yeah, good question. Uh, good question for them. I think this is going to be one of the, hopefully this is one of the things that eventually everyone supports, but it's a long road, I think, to get there. Uh, but look, at least they support things like MQTT, which is, to, to my mind at least, a much more open, open mechanism of communicating rather than the number of devices I see that just ship with their own thing and it's like, here's our own thing in our own app and it's this little walled ecosystem. Uh, yeah, Shelly has not just MQTT, but they've got API endpoints. You know, you can literally go and hit JSON-based API endpoints and write your own code against it. It's, it really feels like it's designed from the ground up to be interoperable. Gavin says, I concur, I have 30 Shelleys. Uh, and have had no issues for two plus years. For the price, I do expect failures and have some cold swap spares in the cupboard for the theoretical electrician to change. <laughs> you know, if you put all the wires back in where the electrician put them back in, it should be fine. Uh, so this was part of the reason for these, uh, literally cold swap spares, which is why I just bought five of each and I've only got a few left in the cupboard at the moment. And somewhere around is the DOA, well, they're not the DOA ones, but the ones that are now dead. Aaron says, curious at using MQTT from the Shelleys. I know Lars is the same, but I always felt it was going to be overkill if it's local network anyway and saves managing MQTT on end devices. The reason I did it is because I had a period there and I don't know exactly why and what's changed and why it's okay now, but I, I simply could not access wireless Shelleys from wireless devices. So my iPad couldn't access it, my laptop, I just could not hit the IP. And I went through a lot of troubleshooting with Ubiquity and there was a lot of discussion about is there too much broadcast traffic on the network because I've just got a crap load of stuff. And using a message queue solved the problem because the Shelleys could also always see Home Assistant so they could always read messages and send messages. Uh, and then the mobile devices could al always see that as well and it, it just solved that problem. I'm, I'm a little bit tempted to agree with you now. I wonder if I need that because what I've ended up with is I still use the native Shelley integration and then I've got MQTT, so I've literally got two channels to talk to every Shelly. And I try and set up all my automations to use MQTT. I literally suffix every entity name with MQTT or Shelly. And then if I go and have a look at my Home Assistant now, I can see that I've got all of my devices also just listed as the Shelly integration, so I can see at a glance what is actually accessible and what is not. And it feels massively redundant but mate i might be with you i might get to the point where i just kill off the mqtt because i definitely don't need both mike says what top speed have you reached in the new motor so far the speed limit any other questions <laughs> um i actually in all seriousness we are it it is so overtly obvious that that car that I'm being extra extra cautious in the same way as I am with the GTR because it's so loud and it's not that I get in the the, the AMG and then go like a maniac but um, it's it's just been more fun driving through windy roads so in fact I was just thinking today when I was driving back I really haven't I don't think I've actually had it on the freeway because that's one of the few times where you can absolutely nail it for 
about three seconds. <laughs> but geez, it pulls so hard. It just really pulls hard. It's lovely. I'll have an off-the-record discussion with you later, Mike. Jane says, uh, a Verge article showing CES, uh, covering CS suggests that some Shelley devices will support matter. I'm quite sure they will in time. Uh, Stefan's confirming those Lutrons are physical switches. Shane says, looks like they consider matter to be a downgrade from their own protocol, though, from that snippet. I'm not sure, Shane, if you're talking about um, uh, Shelley. I, I don't imagine Shelley would look at matter as a downgrade, given how interoperable they are. Gavin says, Shelley and Matter, from their site, Gen 1 devices will not support Matter. We are working on Matter compatibility with Gen 2 devices, Pro and Plus series, with a separate firmware. Okay, cool. We'll, uh, we'll wait and see. Aaron says, how's the Gold Coast? You, can, uh, you never can hit the speed limit. Anyway, I find it very funny for someone in Sydney to say that, because it's actually pretty rare for us to ever have to deal with, uh, with traffic, uh, and you don't need much space to hit the speed limit in that car either. I'll just uh, let's put that out there. Marek says, is it the theoretical speed limit as in the theoretical electrician? Good question. Let's go on to something else. All right. IoT door locks. I'll put this on the list since Aaron is here as well. Now, I got, let's actually scroll back a bit before we talk about the exact one. One of the things I've noticed a lot in the discussion online, and I think I've seen Aaron chime into this effect too, um, there's a lot of discussion from people who are like, you work in security, why would you have an IoT door lock? And don't you know you can just open any of them with a magnet and yada, 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 yada. Now, some of them do seem to be very weak. I was speaking about the level one recently and the lockpicking lawyer's got a video where he just uses a lockpicking rake and he opens it in like literally three seconds. Uh, now, I don't think I've spoken about this here, but I did put it on the Twitters. I wrote to level and I said, look, do you have any intention to fix this? Lockpicking lawyer video. And I got like a wall of Chewbacca defense, <laughs> you know, all this stuff about, oh, most people don't break in with, uh, with, with lock picks and things like that. You know, they're opportunistic, yada, 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 yada. And, and I actually don't disagree with anything they said, but at no point did they actually answer my question, which is like, are you going to fix this? Well, they did implicitly. No, they're not. <laughs> so, but they do have a good point insofar as there is this discussion about who is your you know, threat actor, air quoting again, to use the term, in terms of breaking into your house. Now, as I said before, and as we experienced firsthand recently when someone broke into the car and then came through the front door of the house carrying a knife, front gate of the house, they didn't get inside the house, the, the people that we are worried about breaking into the house are those who are opportunistic. It is literally people, we've seen this on the video camera, going from car to car, from house to house, trying to open the door. Can I open the door? No. Next one. It is that simple. That is what happens consistently. If they get in, are there car keys? Is there cash, jewellery, things that they can get their hands on? We are not worried about people who can pick locks. Uh, not at all for multiple reasons. Number one, that's not the skill set these people seem to have. And, and you see them constantly in the news getting picked up. There's a lot of, lot of stuff on the press here at the moment about harsher penalties for juvenile crime. And it is consistently young kids, both girls and boys, uh, interestingly enough, we are seeing a lot of girls as it's a sign of the modern times. Like everybody is breaking into houses now. But from like 13 years onwards through to early 20s seems to be the demographic at the moment. Uh, and there's often a bunch of them together. It was only one guy on his own who broke into our stuff the other day. And it is so clearly overtly opportunistic. And we see this not just in the news, but from the people in the neighborhood around here. We're all on a WhatsApp group. Everyone's posting videos of who's tried to break into the house lately or something. And it is very low-skilled, uh, poorly prepared opportunistic breaking. It's basically like people doing data breaches. You know? <laughs> Most of them haven't got a clue what they're doing. They get lucky because there's some low-hanging fruit somewhere. So that's who we are worried about. Now, that's not to say we want to make it dead easy to get into, but I would argue that if there is a lock that I can't get into quickly, then these guys can't get into quickly. Which brings me to the Yale lock. I bought a Yale unity screen door lock and part of the reason i bought it is that it looked like an easy retrofit which for the most part it was so it's something i could do myself and also part of the reason i bought it is because 
I think we're going to end up with, the, I'm pretty sure we're going to end up with Yale locks on the front door and the front gate, which is what Aaron's recommendation was. He's written a good blog post about this. He and I spoke about it the other day, and I, I agree with you, mate. I think that's the best thing at the moment. Uh, I wanted to sort of get a little bit of a sense of that Yale ecosystem with the app and everything else. And I thought, okay, this is a good opportunity. I had a number of problems uh, fitting it. Some of them were uh, digital problems. It was beeping like crazy. It turned out to be a, a tamper alarm. Very unclear how to actually turn it off. Eventually, I figured it out through trial and error. I got locked in. Uh, I got lo <laughs> I got locked in because the uh, because the thing kept going off and uh, wouldn't want to connect to the app. I then got locked in because it's not actually withdrawing the the latch all the way when I turn the handle, and that seems to be just a mechanical fitment issue, which I've got to pick up again probably today. My point is, is that I I couldn't get it open short of trying something potentially destructive. Now people are saying online they're like, well, you can just open it with a magnet. And I've got this image in my mind of like Wiley Coyote with one of those massive sort of magnets that he's <laughs> trying to walk around and catch the uh, the Roadrunner with. Uh, it, evidently, you're not just going to walk by with a normal magnet in your pocket and open it, and the people breaking into our place are not the ones we're worried about. Also, keep in mind that we've got a lot of glass, like most houses around here, and there are rocks and things. Like if someone wants to break into the house, there are much, much easier ways of doing it than actually picking a lock. So point of all this is... The smart lock thing is more about the convenience and the practicality of it. And Aaron made a very good point. Where he's, I don't, if I can paraphrase, you, you have said something to the effect of it has got amazing like partner acceptance take up, uh, where your wife was very, very happy with how easy it is to get in and out of the house now. I am sick to death of the number of keys that we've been carrying around. So the usability of it is the big thing. Now that said, it's got to actually be usable <laughs> and i have had some problems with this one i think it was very unclear around things like being able to turn off the tamper alarm uh i've got to figure out the fitment issues with this i'm not worried about the ones that go under the front door because it's actually professionals that are going to fit all that so that's um that's something that they can deal with rather than me i have uh i have created a connection with yale <laughs> someone's messaging me about that now so uh, I, I do seem to have a connection there now that might be able to help me with some of these issues too. But look, Yale has, it, it's a very, very strong brand. It's well known. It's a lock brand and they've added IoT. I, I do feel that that carries some gravitas. I am going completely away from keys. So the, the locks will not have keys at all. They will have to be IoT based things. They'll have to be watch, fingerprint, pin, whatever else they support in the future. I am totally done with keys. There will, without going into detail, still be other ways to get into the house with a key if I need to. I have fallback positions. I'm not a complete idiot. <laughs> not until these locks prove to be a little bit more stable. That's my thoughts on locks. What are people saying in here? Um, yeah, as Aaron says, why pick a lock when you can break a window with a rock? It's, I think you probably said that before I said this, but I didn't see it. But yes, we agree. Um Mike says, I think Troy here is talking about the reason we should not believe in security absolutism. I love that term, the idea that unless something is perfect, we shouldn't use it. And it's a little bit that, you know, like perfect is the enemy of good saying, isn't it? Where it's, you run the risk of, of just not moving forward if you're continually seeking perfection. One of the reasons I've ended up choosing the Yale is it is the least bad one I can find. Now, I don't think they're going to put that on their marketing material. Yale smart locks, the least bad smart locks out there. But what I mean by that is I really wanted a smart lock that had Apple Home Key, not Home Kit, Home Key, because that is a native integration within Apple that uses NFC that you can either have to have your device unlocked for or just have to have your device present. Swipey on the thing with the NFC and then you walk straight in. And that, to me, is the way forward. And the question I've put privately to, to Yale, and I might actually have an answer here now, is, is that in your pipeline? And further, if not, do we generally see these Yale locks being easy retrofits? So, you know, two years from now, there's a great model out there and it does everything I need. Can I take the old one off without destroying the door, put the new one on pretty much in the same holes and we're good to go? The least bad lock out there. 
Uh, Stefan says, I have a crowbar. Most of our North American door frames give way very quickly. Uh, he's also not concerned about lock picking or some possible vulnerabilities of smart locks. For the common break-ins, that's never what's being exploited. And I really think that we, we do lose, we, not you and I, everyone here is smart, but some of the people on Twitter do lose their minds a little bit in seeking out the perfect lock for reasons that just don't make sense. Aaron says, that's why I went with the key as a fallback option. We've never used the key on the lock, but it's an option if we need. I wonder, mate, if, if in time you might go, it's three years later. We have still never used the key. It's worked perfectly every single time. Uh, the next upgraded lock we get, we're just not going to have a key because we're confident enough in the technology now. So th this is sort of my thinking. It's like, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll do enough locks that the places we normally have to use keys all the time, we've solved that problem. And then we'll have others left that are still keyed. And then maybe in the future, they'll change. Gordon says, that could actually be a good PR move. I assume you mean the least bad IoT lock. Strata says, in 20 years to get into Troy's house, it will be like uh, getting into Get Smart. I'll just, well, <laughs> pick up my shoe phone and, and in we go. Shane, obligatory XKCD reference about 4096 RSA encryption, drugs, and you're hitting with a $5 wrench. Um, sorry, not drugs versus drugs. I know, I know the one you mean. It's the one where it's like, look, uh, yeah, it's encrypted by all this protected security and everything. Why don't we just hit him over the wrench and ask him for the password? Hit him over the head with the wrench. Marek, that was a link to Glitter Bomb <laughs> done by Hacksmith Industries. So I normally think of Glitter Bomb being uh, the Mark Rober one. If there is another Glitter Bomb, please send me a link. The kids love that. Aaron says, possibly. I assume this is to the idea of in the future just not having a key lock at all. And given we've got a standard lock shape, the upgrade to 100% keyless is just a new lock. All right, let's move on. Data breachy stuff. A couple of uh, sort of breaches, usual breaches. HDB Financial Services. So this was uh, an Indian service probably still is an Indian service, uh, got, got breached. They are part of a much larger banking system or banking organisation, uh, HDB Bank. And it was kind of interesting because HDB Bank was out there saying, we have not had a data breach sort of thing. But then it's like, okay, well, HDB Financial Services, your subsidiary has. They had more than 70 million records with 1.6 million unique email addresses breached this month. Data include names. Genders, dates, birth, phone numbers, and loan info. 17% of those already in have been pwned. Very low hit rate. One that was a higher hit rate is Shopper Plus. That is a Canadian service. 878,000 records breached in 2020. Popped up on the usual hacking forum last week. Data there is email and physical addresses, names, phone numbers, and in some cases, genders and dates of birth. Now, why you need a gender and date of birth to shop is not clear, but 75% of those already didn't have been pwned. Now, a couple of uh, a couple of interesting ones, more interesting ones. Latitude Financial Services. Now, this is not going to mean anything to most people, and up until yesterday, it also meant nothing to me. Now, for the Aussies here, maybe some of them will recognise it, but it is just not a brand that I had come across. So. I suddenly started getting my Twitters get very busy yesterday with talk about Latitude Financial Services having a data breach. Now, just to explain who they are, the Twitter bio says, we help people from all walks of life to shop and live better. It's another way of saying get into debt. Uh, <laughs> and then our social team are online, blah, blah, blah. So Latitude does consumer finance. And if you go into, let's say, some of the big department stores in Australia, and you want to buy things, but you don't have the money to buy them, but you would like to take out a loan to buy them, Latitude is there to help. So this is very much like buy now, pay later sort of stuff. And look, I guess I'm being a little bit disparaging because it's, I have a whole bunch of financial theories, some of which I've written about before. Uh, they are what they are. They're obviously a legitimate organization operating legally. Uh, they have had a data breach that they announced yesterday. Now this has gotten much more press than what a data breach affecting only a few hundred thousand people should. And I think there are two reasons for that. One is that we had two massive data breaches in Australia last year, uh, both around the 10 million people mark. And for a country with about 25 million people, that is a substantial number. One was Optus, the telco. The other was Medibank Private, which is the private health insurer. Now, Optus was pretty much six months ago to the day 
just under that. I remember that because it's six months ago to the day today I got married and we went on our honeymoon and then I was doing a lot of media about Optus. They were also significantly in the press because of the leaking of identity data. So a lot of people had things like their driver's license detail exposed. And that then led to the revocation of a huge number of driver's licenses and big queues up to whatever your local provider of driver's licenses is. Uh, it's transport and main roads here in Queensland. And that created a lot of discussion around our dependency on this sort of documentation for identity verification, uh, how, we, how we retain this data, and then how we revoke it and reissue it. And then we got like a month down the line and we had Medibank Private who got ransomed and then a huge amount of very sensitive data dumped publicly. So our government got very, very vocal about dealing with the cybercrime uh, in, in very good ways. I think the government has been, for the most part, applauded in their, certainly in their uh, representations in response to this. It's a bit early to, to see a lot of action yet. But there was a lot of beating of drums and everyone in Australia was very, very aware about data breaches. I saw a lot more interest in people wanting me to talk about data breaches and talk about security things. I talked to literally the industry body for superannuation funds a few weeks ago. Uh, now, this is our retirement savings uh, in Australia. I mean, financial people wanted me to come and talk about cybersecurity. That rarely happened before that. So there was a lot more interest, which is great. So the fact that we're sort of on this heightened awareness and then we have another data breach of a financial services company and then out of those several hundred thousand people, we've got about 100,000 who've had identity documents leaked. So we're going back through the same thing again and inevitably the questions will come up. Why did they still have these documents? Why are we so dependent on these documents? Are there better ways of doing identity verification? Now, to their credit, Latitude actually has a responsible disclosure policy. At Latitude, we understand how important it is to protect our customers and we value the input of the security community. The responsible disclosure of security vulnerabilities helps us ensure the security and privacy of Latitude and our customers. If you believe you have found a security vulnerability with any of our services, we would like, to we would like you to let us know right away via our responsible disclosure program. Now, I haven't read any more detail of this. I don't know if they have bug managers or they pay people. I do know they don't have a security.txt. I didn't have to look to know that, but someone did tell me <laughs> they don't have a security.txt. Regardless, uh, actually, it says here a responsible disclosure program is managed by Bug Crowd. Good uh, Aussie startup right there. So kudos to them for that. It'd be interesting to know how they learned about this. Uh, I have the feeling from the description that it was not via their responsible disclosure program that they learned about it because they've said, look, some of their um, support folks had uh, their accounts taken over and then access to third-party systems, which appears to be where the data is leaked. Somehow this blew up yesterday in the space of no time. I'm speaking to journalists and there's camera crews and stuff here again, and it has become a big thing in Australia. So uh, I haven't heard any more about it today, though. Maybe it's one of those things that blows over very quickly, but I just thought it was it was noteworthy when you suddenly see such a flurry of activity and interest. So that was Latitude. Look at the comments here before we go on to the next one. Uh, Stefan says we've got four entry doors to the house. No chance all door locks won't work at the same time. If you only do one, you might need a fallback. Yeah, no, no, we've, we've got fallbacks. We're good. Aaron says, screen doors and sliding doors are the hardest ones to get smart locks for. Um, yes, I, I totally agree with that. Now, we've got a door, I'm not going to go into too much detail on this, but a door that's a cavity slider. So it's a sliding door that recesses all the way into a cavity. So all you see is the edge of the door afterwards. And normally you have like a little hook on the, on the, the thin face of the door to pull it open. And then you've got to be able to lock it. Zero smart locks for that. Uh, and I went down to the, the point of looking at like electromagnetic locks and things like that uh, and eventually have settled on the good old kinetic style lock with key. Uh, this is as good as I can get, but I figure it's the sort of thing that's not going to be too hard to retrofit later. But yeah, sliding doors don't seem to be uh, don't seem to be great. Now, on the one hand, I suspect in most houses like ours, you don't often use this or you don't use the sliding door as much as say a door that hinges and opens as usual that's usually your, your big door into your house so maybe it doesn't matter as much anyway because you're not using 
keys there anywhere near as frequently as the front door. However, I would really like the ability to go, is every single door in the house locked? Yes or no? Because we do use the sliding doors. Right? We go out the back to the pool or things like that. Uh, has it been locked? And there have certainly been occasions in the past where, like everyone else here, you have forgotten to lock a door. So I would love to have an IoT lock on there that would actually confirm that, yes, everything is locked. That would be cool. Okay. Um, Ilias says, uh, we are 26 mil announced yesterday. Okay, Australia. So we've hit the 26 million mark. Okay, congratulations. Well, that makes the data breach ratio a little bit lower than what it was when it was 25. Lisa's with the licenses in Victoria, they didn't change the license number. They added a card ID. Did they do the same in Queensland? This is one of the discussions that came up where they say, uh, you know, you've got your license number, but there is also a number that is for the card itself. Now, I do believe I have that on my Queensland license, but it's rare. In fact, if I look at my one password, it would be in there. Do we have that? Do we have a, if I look at my license, Queensland drivers license, Queensland uh, issue. Yes, I have a card number. I do have a card number. There you go. So yeah, uh, we do have a card number, but are we still dependent? I, I just, I don't know that that really solves the problem. Like, are we still saying that you need to have like a photocopy or a scan of this thing that's got numbers on it. And if we see this and it looks kind of right and it has numbers, then that's identity verification. It just still feels wrong, doesn't it? Brennan says, just curious as to whether you have an Apple TV 4K and if so, whether it's worth it to you. Yeah, I do. I got it years ago, probably four or five years ago. I know there's been a slightly upgraded one since, but I think it's basically the same. Yes, I think it's worth it. Uh, I would... I don't have a dumb TV. I'd be very happy to have a dumb TV. And then I'd like to just have the smart little things. So the big panel, which is the thing that you want to use for many, many, many years, you keep. And then the little thing, which has got all the intelligence in it, you swap that out when there's a better one. That's my theory. Brian, first time live stream. G'day, Brian. Welcome. <laughs> Marek, I must say that the organization I work for has seriously stepped up the expectations around vulnerability patching and reporting in the last few months. Now, Marek, I assume that you're implying that that's within this current climate in Australia where everyone's a lot more aware of it. You know, uh, regardless of when we get government funding for the promised 100 strong cyber army or when we get bigger penalties that hit or other punitive measures to try and improve the landscape, at the very least, everyone is a lot more aware of it. And it is that much harder now to have a data breach and go, well, we just didn't give it enough thought. So you've all been watching the news, like you know what's going on. So the, the excuses are getting a lot harder, and I think that's a very positive thing. Brendan says, read the card numbers on licenses, the VIC licenses. So this is Victoria for overseas viewers, our southern state, one of them. Have had them since before the Great Breach. It was previously very tiny uh, and stuck in the MM year year big text on the back. Okay. Final breach thing. Now, this one is kind of interesting. So this is uh, eye for fraud. <laughs> and it's interesting because they really, really, really did not want to acknowledge this breach. They really didn't like it. And I'm making assumptions here. I don't know precisely that this is true because they don't answer my messages and they don't engage in any discussion. Let me just go back to this thread. Now, while I'm looking it up, I do remember the big uh, high-level numbers. 16 million people in this data breach for a service which is meant to be there to try and reduce fraud. Now, here's the beginning of my thread. Uh, okay, March the 6th, 11 days ago now. Jeez. I've added this to have I been paying 16 million unique email addresses over a lot of millions of records. I think it was something like 70 million transactions. And I for Fraud is in there providing services to other websites. So the customers of I for Fraud are the websites that sell T-shirts. And then this one sells, I don't know, like cakes or something like that. And then those websites then have their own customers. So imagine you've got like three parties in this. Now, you come along and you want to buy the cake or the T-shirt and you put in all your details 
And the cake shop then sends that to I for fraud as part of their fraud detection process. So I for fraud now has your data because you wanted to buy cake. It then gets leaked. They don't reply to any messages. They don't notify the cake shop. So the cake shop can't notify the individuals. But then it goes into Have I Been Pwned? And I send some six-figure number of emails to my subscribers and go, hey, you've been in a data breach. Now, unless they use sub-addressing or unless they use a wildcard on their own domain or something, they're like, where the hell did this data come from? I've bought cakes before. I've bought T-shirts before. Was it from the cake shop or the T-shirt shop or any number of different places we bought stuff from? And the frustration here is that without I for fraud disclosing to their customers, then those customers can't disclose to their customers. And, you know, when you look at what's in here, we've got, I didn't actually say what was in here. Why don't I do that? Uh, millions of email addresses. Uh, uh, have I been pwned? But, uh, it's all the usual stuff, like names, addresses, partial card data, last four digits of the card, the card type. Uh, we had addresses. I think we had phone numbers as well. It, it's Basically, like all the stuff you should tell someone about if you lose it. Or you don't lose it, but someone else gets a copy of it when they're not meant to have it. So I've got this long thread here where I've gone through and I'm just adding information to this you know, as information comes up. So there's other people talking about the data breach. I'm asking if anyone's seen a disclosure notice yet. Uh, and then one of the things that happened, which was kind of interesting, is uh, there's a, a company here called Abstract Ocean. So Abstract Ocean, uh, accessorize your Tesla or Rivian with awesome accessories. So they were one of the customers of i for fraud And when I published a list of all of i for frauds uh, website customers, commercial customers, inevitably this was one of them, and they've joined the dots, and they've worked out that their data, or their customers' data, had been leaked because of using i for fraud So what do they say here? Um... They have actually come out with a, their own disclosure uh, statement, Abstract Ocean. We're writing to inform you about a potential data breach incident that may have impacted your personal information. It's important to note that I for fraud have not yet confirmed the breach, but there's sufficient evidence online that we believe we should let you know. Good, it's good, preemptive. Uh, they explain who I for fraud is and say what happened. This tweet thread by Troy Hunt, founder of the excellent Have I Been Pwned site, shows that E4F allegedly in italics experienced a data breach, E4F has yet to make a public comment and has not replied to our attempts to contact them or the attempts of others. I really like this company. <laughs> like they literally just chuck an eye for fraud under the bus because, or because they deserve to be chucked under the bus. Anyway, so we go on. So when was that? That was 14th, three days ago. Uh, someone else here from uh, is replying to this thread they said i privately heard of one of the brands in the eye for fraud breach uh, i privately heard of one of the brands they claim they weren't even notified by the company they're just looking into it now due to the twitter threads now eventually i for fraud two days ago issued a statement it's very brief <laughs> i can read the whole thing here we recently experienced a cybersecurity incident where a backup file that related to certain customers and contained limited information. When is it unlimited information? There is never a data breach where someone says, well, the data in there was unlimited. There is literally no limit. Of course, it was limited information. Limited information was subject to unauthorized access. We moved to promptly retain stuff. Could have promptly returned my emails. The whole thing could have been handled much better. Move to promptly retain cybersecurity experts and outside advisors to assist in our response. We have, we have notified and are cooperating with law enforcement authorities to investigate the incident. And authorities are going to be very, very interested in the way they've communicated this, I hope. We provide fraud protection services for e-commerce merchants who provide us with limited information about transactions. Not unlimited information, limited. We do not collect sensitive personal information about individuals. That's a very selective word, isn't it? Sense all we do is we collect like their names, their email addresses, their phone numbers, their physical, you know, like just unimportant shit, basically. Not sensitive personal information about individuals, like account passwords or full payment card numbers in the course of providing our services. We are working to understand the situation. Haven't asked me about it yet. And our priority is to provide accurate information 
including any additional updates as appropriate. And that's it. That's the entire thing, which I summarized in about a minute, including my own interjections. It is just an absolutely woeful, dismal statement. It is such a shit statement. It really, really is. There is no timeline. There is no information about the actual data classes that are exposed. There is nothing about how they're communicating to their customers and then subsequently nothing about how those customers are communicating to everyone else. There's no resource here to get in touch with them to ask questions about that if your data was actually in the breach. It's just... Anyway, you know my feelings. What else is here? Rob says, I always have my phone, rarely have my wallet, although I drive 20-year-old Subaru. Speed limit isn't theoretical for me. Oh, you know, you say that, but I think about Subarus I had 20 years ago, aren't I? They're okay. Uh, I like the idea of rarely having my wallet and rarely having keys. Uh, and I'm conscious that we have cars that all have keys to start them, and that's not like Tesla with the magic thing and the start it with your phone kind of thing. At some point in the future, I'm sure it'll be like that, but I'd love to get rid of all the keys. Uh, Brian says, third generation Apple TV 4K is a lot speedier than first gen. I switched a bit ago and includes thread support. Thread support. What's thread support, Brian, in the Apple? Are you are you upselling me? <laughs> Brendan says, do you believe it's worth a trip across the next town along to pick one up at JB Hi-Fi? Um, hey, Brendan, normally these things, I don't know if it's the same for where you are in Victoria, but it's very, very easy to get them um, get them delivered from Apple. I bought a, an Apple phone holder uh, recently for the car. When I say an Apple one, it's, it's a Belkin one from Apple. And it's like two days later, it's on your doorstep. I'm not sure how rural you are, but uh, in my experience, they're very good at delivery. Okay, so look, I'm going to wrap it up there, folks. Thank you for joining. I know this was a bit of a false start with my audio and then a little bit later than usual I'm glad we had some good questions and good audience I'll come back to you next week and do this later in the day uh, we can talk more about how much I for fraud hasn't disclosed anything else <laughs> by that time have a good weekend folks <laughs>